1: Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the Rhino Cast podcast, brought to
2: you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations
3: with your favorite artists and bands, and balloons for the kiddies. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace.
2: On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we're talking with none other than legendary Pink Floyd drummer Nick Mason about his new box set, Unattended Luggage. Stick around.
0: Today's guest, this is this is unique, this gentleman, and I say gentleman, performed on every one of his band's albums and every single one of their live shows. Can you guess who that is?
2: Well, I know who it is, obviously. It's Nick Mason of Pink Floyd.
0: You win. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's a precise drummer, and that's because he grew up with, well, he's a jazz and big band music guy, not a rock and roll
2: guy initially. Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of drummers that come out of that school, they have a flow to them and an approach to music that translates so well to other genres, but really affords them the opportunity to bring more to the table than drummers that grew up only on rock, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and Nick is
0: not... The, 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 talk about, a, a, a. I hate to use the word mellow, but a mellow guy, he's not impressed with with his own work. He's just kind of like... I mean, I don't want to give away the story here, but he's he's not impressed. He's just like, oh, yeah, this is what I do.
2: Yeah, he's very down to earth. And I think that's one of the things that's really endearing about him.
0: That said, how brilliant, how cool was it to talk to him about Unattended Luggage, this new set that has got three of these pretty rare solo records of his.
2: Yeah, how many listeners out there actually remember or knew that he did solo work in the 80s, which is when these three albums came out? Many of these were out of print, very hard to find. So it's really nice that Rhino has put out this unattended luggage box set of these three solo Nick Mason albums.
0: Shall I rattle them off? Please do. 1981, Fictitious Sports with Carla Bly and Robert Wyatt. Number two, Profiles, 1985, with Rick Fenn from 10CC. And, well, it's got this this singer, David Gilmore, and also Maggie Riley's on there. And number three, White of the Eye, based on a British thriller
2: soundtrack, also worked alongside Rick Fenn. And, of course, Pink Floyd fans know that Pink Floyd was so involved making soundtracks, most famously for Barbette Schroeder films in the early 70s, late 60s. So a natural extension of that for Nick to continue to do soundtrack work. Yeah, and what's really just
0: incredible about this is the combination of precision and humor. And you don't usually hear those two go together, but it's kind of, I I mean, I think we said to him that it was kind of Monty Python-esque because Monty Python was exactly that. They planned everything to a fault, but they were able to riff on a moment's notice and and be funny at the same time. So I think that... uh, we, we should get into this. I mean, this, this really was such a treat.
2: Unfortunately, we were not able to fly to London to talk to Nick, but he did carve out some time for us, and we spoke over international telephone lines, didn't we? Yes, we did. Nick Mason, welcome to the Rhino Cast. Thank you. Unattended Luggage is an ambitious release that covers an extremely wide range of work that happened over the span of
1: less than a decade. How were you approached by Rhino to put it together as a box set? I think, actually, it started with one part of the set, which was the Rick Fenn element and talking about releasing it. And I think there was an enthusiasm from the record company to uh, actually combine it with both the, the film soundtrack and the Carla Bley element that had been done some time before.
0: Let's start with you, Carla, and Robert Wyatt. You and Robert had sung the Monkees' I'm a Believer on Top of the Pops in 1974. That was so much fun to watch. Where did Carla come into
1: the mix with you and Robert? Okay, well, Carla came in through the connection with Robert. Robert introduced me to almost everyone over a period of the 70s. Carla was married to uh, Mike Mantler at the time, and I ended up doing some other projects with Mike. In fact, over the years, I'd helped him with a couple of records, done a bit of production on some other records he'd done, quite often starring Robert. So that was the real, the, the real link.
2: Tell us about Boo to You Too and how the crowd booing at the
1: end came about. Well, all the songs are really Carla Blaise songs, and quite often very funny. But I think Carla was well used to playing music that didn't always go down well with audiences who were expecting something else and uh, there was that sense that this this was a song about audiences that we also had experienced in our early days and so we got the band to do the be the angry audience
0: can get my motor to start, yep. which I kind of portrayed as Frank Zappa meets Captain Beefheart meets Monty Python.
1: I'd love the idea of anything that links me with, particularly with Frank Zappa. Uh, and Absolutely. you're right. I mean, Frank used to do fantastic things with music and humor. I, I remember Joe's Garage from one of those Zappa periods. I'd love to think that we uh, came into that sort of genre.
0: So what I, what I was curious about, it's, it's kind of this weird thing. It's Spoken Word, Broken Beats, how did, you mentioned that, and it is written, that, you know, that Carla, you know, had kind of written a lot of the songs, but how did, how did the three of you conceive that mash?
1: Well, I think mainly just through trial and error, because in some ways, my playing remains the sort of playing I've done all my life. But it still somehow seemed to fit in with, with the sort of work that, that Carla was doing. And I love that thing of mixing what really amounts to fairly straight rock drumming with what have without doubt jazz arrangements.
0: The major horn section there. Do you remember some of the players? Because that is a one heck of a horn section.
1: They were brilliant. I'd seen Carla in concert a number of times. Her horn plays were always Fantastic. I mean, really, really good. Actually, trying to remind myself of who they all were at the time. But um, <laughs> no, it was an absolute joy to work with them.
3: Oh, can't you get it to go? Is your battery low? No, I don't think so. Try pulling out of the choke. Try looking under the hood. Try pulling out of the choke. Try looking under the hood. Looking under the hood. Never did any good. The choke must be broke. Ah!
0: And then there's I was wrong, which which I kind of when I was listening to it yesterday again, I thought hip hop before its time. Or when you think about it, hip hop is kind of like free jazz. They they share so much in common, but hip hop wasn't weren't two words that were used back then. But this felt like that. We were years ahead of our time. (laughs) (laughs) It's that's a good thing to be.
3: With just so much hype I really believed there was nothing out there Except the stars and the stripes I mean the scientists said they found out That there was nothing there on Mars So as far as I was concerned It was just the name of a candy bar
2: Terry Adams from NRBQ played piano on
1: Booty U2 and Can't Get My Motor to Start How are you introduced to Terry? Again, through Carla, she produced, you know, Carla and Mike between them produced the most wonderful players. Uh, There was Terry and then they were the people who said, oh, and Chris Spedding will come and play guitar, which was, uh, again, a fantastic addition to the whole thing.
0: Let's move on to Profiles. Given that it was Rick from 10CC, there's no doubt that Profiles was going to take a different path. Oh, yeah, completely. And since replaced horns in a major way and i love this quote from rick i don't know if you've ever heard this quote but he says i think it's useful and important to change the people you work with you get stuck in certain patterns you know roger will do this and dave will do that and then well you can go and make the tea so nick (laughs) tell me about you and rick and the tea
1: well rick basically rick and i we formed a company called bamboo music and we ended up doing quite a lot of commercials and movie and uh, soundtracks for documentaries and so on. In a way, it's absolutely right. You you just get so sort of stuck in the same way of working with people. I didn't think I ever really actually ever quite got round to making the tea, but I really enjoyed that thing of just working with someone else at a different rate, I suppose, and with different instrumentation and, and so on. I, I think one of the things about both Profiles and White of the Eye is the fact that you can almost pinpoint where we are in in history just by the sound of the instruments but there's you know there there are all those keyboards and synths and so on that simply hadn't existed 10 years earlier and 10 years later they're gone again
0: again the vocals live for a lie sung by your your bandmate david who you know fairly well Mm -hmm. and and, (laughs) and 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 maggie riley that could have been a hit single. I mean, that was that was pretty poppy for its time, wasn't yeah. it? It's
1: it's, a, it's an outrage that it never did become a hit single. Maybe it's not too late. You know what, um, Rich? Did you did you press the re release single yet?
0: Uh, (laughs) i'm working on it now we're
2: mastering
1: next
0: week What, what color vinyl what color vinyl nick would you like that to be i mean let's you know let's get to this oh
1: god i hadn't really i hadn't prepared for that one what what color do you think it should be it definitely should not be pink no quite
2: What's your dynamic with David on a project like this that's outside of Pink Floyd uh, when you're recording with him? Did you give him notes or did you just put him in the vocal booth, the lyrics, and let him
1: go? The great thing is, you know, I was really pleased when he said he'd be happy to do it. And I just left him to it. I mean, uh, uh, there's very little I can tell David about singing.
3: The game's a game, I hear you say. Enough emotion. Yeah.
0: Are not Anglophiles like we are? I think that that Israel with Danny from UFO on vocals is going to be a going to be a revelation for people. Are, are the harmonies from Rick because it's an anthemic song?
1: Yeah, it's a, a real one-off. We've done some other work with Danny, and there was this song that existed, and uh, it's a real eye-opener when he when he sang it.
3: Dancing on a broken burning sand Where no trees or living thing would grow Selling the romantic dream Venetians, Venetians. Real estate is hard to find Ideas on the mind
2: The drum sounds that you have on these three albums sound so familiar to those who love your music. Had you worked with any of these engineers or mixers previously, or did you give them direction as to what you wanted
1: your drums to sound like? Uh, Not really. I mean, the drums, uh, I think what what one does is you, you set them up and then there's a, quite a lot of trial and error with drum sounds i mean the funny thing is that or the curious thing is that in some cases we're, we're using you know drum samples not not on the carla record but on the uh, profiles record right very of the moment yeah because that's you know that's what people were doing then so that was we, we embraced the technology sometimes you think it's a, a, the tendency is some years later you think that was bad technology well, it just sounds so dated. Yeah. No, it's, it's very specific and curious. About, uh, one just looks back to things like the Mellotron, which was going to destroy orchestras. By, <laughs> and it never really did that, did it?
0: So we're going to move on to White of the Eye. And this, this is going to be fun because I actually watched some clips from the film and actually have it on cue to watch this weekend. About the plot, how do you approach a film soundtrack with this plot? And I'm going to do it in the full announcer voice. A series of murders of rich young women throughout the area of Globe, Arizona, bear the distinctive signature of a serial killer. Clues lead Detective Charles Mendoza to visit Paul White, a sound expert, installing hi-fi systems in wealthy people's homes. His special talent is to make a noise which echoes through the air cavities in his head and shows him where the sound of the speaker should come from and echo in the room. How do you even get into a soundtrack or a film about a hi-fi expert who does all this,
1: who's also a serial killer? Well, I think, like most things, you ignore most of the information you're given and then try and um, divide some music that you think fits and hope that the director will come round to it. Um, I, <laughs>
0: With that plot, there's no choice. I,
2: I always think the important thing
1: is not to read too much.
2: Well, sometimes a director will show you a portion of the film and, and say, I need uh, this type of mood for this. Was there any
1: of that with the director
2: for this film?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he'd, uh, The most alarming thing is when directors have already put some music that they like on and say they want something like this. And then oh. you find yourself oh, yeah. trying to copy something. And, you know, anything you do will never be quite as good. I mean, we had that problem when working with Michelangelo and Tonioni. He'd already decided the sort of music he wanted. We just ended up endlessly sort of putting things together that were slightly in the style of, but never quite as good as the original.
0: <laughs> and just to go a little deeper, there's, there's lots of kind of found strange sounds, lots of percussive in nature things, but also... You know, country esque steel guitar. Did those perhaps reflect Arizona, where the film took place? Was that
1: that the motivation? No, not really. I think, uh, yes, that's right. That's sort of Washburn-type sort of country guitar. But there was also a lot of that business of using or trying to use sort of sound effects as percussion, which, again, was of the period, I think, with Pink Floyd would had been particularly tied into doing different sort of... uh, sound effect things. I think it was sort of a pickup from that, really.
0: Saucer Full of Secret, the, the live shows you're doing now, we, mm-hmm. we can't resist talking about those, because it's going to give an amazing perspective on these three long players that are coming out. So you've named it after your 1968 release. How do you line up a former Floyd, a blockhead, Gary from Spando and Dom?
1: What can I tell you? I'd, I'd like to think of Gary as a, one of the new romantics. Blockhead romantics and um, dodgy old rock drummer. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a funny mix. Uh, but I have to say it's worked, we think, it's, it's working really, really well. And what you get is the enthusiasm. If you've got the enthusiasm, then everyone can use whatever skills they have to achieve an end. The last thing you really need to do is go sculling about trying to find elderly, psychedelic musicians to join in the party. It's far more fun and interesting to bring people who are enthusiastic but have their own take on music.
0: Why don't you, on your next tour, why
1: don't you call yourself elderly, psychedelic musicians? (laughs) Well, we could do that. I thought we might call ourselves the Australian Roger Waters. (laughs) Nick, how did you come up with the idea to put this band together and play this music? It was really a suggestion from Lee, and guy said to me, why don't you do something like this? And I went, I don't know, maybe I should. And uh, so we, we actually just more or less said, well, uh, because by then Gary Kemp had heard about it, and he, he's a friend of mine anyway, and uh, said, oh, no, that, that sounds really fun. So we actually just put together a couple of days of, in a rehearsal room, just to see what, what it sounded like. We all came away absolutely buzzing from it, saying, that was, that was great, it was fun, and it sounded interesting. You know, what we're trying to do is we're, not, we're trying not to be a tribute band, copying ourselves, or uh, in my case, myself, um, but actually bring the songs, but using them uh, and playing them in a, a way that has some sort of freshness to, to them. And it seems to be really well received. How do you go about deciding which songs you're going to choose to play? Um, We write a list and then we go, I like this one. And someone says, I like that one. And someone says, I don't like that one. So we scrub that one out. And then we say, well, this one's too difficult. The drummer won't remember how it goes. (laughs) Uh, And then we go, well, that leaves these ones. Let's get on with these. We've got a set list and I think uh, we will add to it and that, that's one of the nice things, there's, there's so many songs out there from that period, quite a lot of which have really hardly ever been heard by, by an audience, and to play songs that actually are that fresh is, is really, it's great fun, and it gives you a pretty sort of clean sheet of paper to, to, um, to bring the song on from.
2: Do you have a cutoff date in your mind? We won't play any songs after this date. Are you keeping it to a certain period?
1: Yes, and that's part of the reason for the uh, the name, the saucer. So we are not we're stopping basically before um, Dark Side of the Moon. We'll leave that right. to the Australian Pink Floyd, Roger Waters and David Gilmore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now you've got you know a few soundtracks that the Floyd did. Prior to Dark Side of the Moon, are mm-hmm. you playing anything off uh, any of those?
1: Albums? Yeah, we're, we're definitely we're playing um, a couple of tracks from Obscured by Clouds. I have to say, which is really interesting. It would fit straight into sort of house music now or trance music now. Any thoughts of bringing this show to the states? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to do that. I think all the band would really love to bring it over to America. Well, we'd love to see it.
0: So interestingly, first time I discovered Pink Floyd, there was an a sampler that came out for like 99 cents, and that astronomy song was on there, interestingly enough. Oh, really? Yeah. It was in amongst all these other strange things on the label. You were next to early Steve Miller band and then these folky things. But what I'm curious about, Nick, is have you had the experience that that now we've had prior to this conversation? which is listening to this entire immensely diverse body of work. Because, you know, we sat down and we had the three long players and then you're listening to them as a, as a body of solo work. And if if so, what would you tell someone about it over again at your local pub?
1: <laughs> I'd say he's a very peculiar man who's done a lot of very <laughs> peculiar things. No, they are very different. I, I don't think... You know that you'd necessarily get very much of a sort of cohesive sense to it, but it's, in a way, it's the range and the differences between things that um, maybe count for, count for more. And with
0: with with the bellwether and with the continuity, you mentioned this earlier, and I think that it's it's very relevant to talk about. You know, you said you know kind of, I don't think you used the word, but I'll use the word. You know, classic rock drumming, but I'm not sure that anybody would define what you've done all these years as as classic rock drumming.
1: No, maybe not. I I think maybe that's what one struck. You know, the trouble is that uh, to some extent, you're always trying to emulate other people. So there's part of me that always wants to be Ginger Baker or uh, Keith Moon or John Bonham or whatever, you know, because they were the people that I looked up to in period.
0: Of this kind of box set, if I were opening it up, and I was closing my eyes, and I was just going to grab something. Is there a couple of songs that you can talk about, particularly the instrumentals, that you think will really make people go, wow, this completely changes my whole perspective on this man?
1: Well, I I think I'd certainly take a track from Fictitious Sports, And possibly something like Can't Get My Mode to Start because because of the humour in it, apart from anything else, as well as the elements of the brass section and so on. The slightly shuffle feel of the track is very different to almost anything I've ever played before. Do you think people missed
0: the humor in Floyd, even in a in a money or a, you know in animals? Do you think that they missed out on some of the joy?
1: Yes, I, I think so. But I mean, I think we make it the the humor tends to be a bit buried. But I think people assume we're a totally serious band and and sort of forget that actually there's um, not that much that's very serious about one of these days I'm going to cut you into little pieces or some of the sort of <laughs> lyric content. Or careful with that axe, Eugene. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it may be psychological, but it's not deeply.
0: I think if you put on enough of this music, particularly on this, these three albums, it just occurred to me, and I don't know if you'll agree or not, but if you were to put on a few tracks from each of these, you'll never have to see a psychologist again.
1: I, th- I, I rather thought you would need to see a psychologist again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate you being on the Rhino Podcast.
1: My pleasure.
0: I don't know about you, but I'm no longer going to check my luggage. I'm going to leave it unattended at this point. Wasn't that f- amazing?
2: It's really a treat to get to talk to somebody from Pink Floyd, Nick Mason. I'm a huge fan, so to be able to ask him about his solo work was really something special for me.
0: I had never discovered that music before. This was a revelation
2: for me. Well, the three albums that comprise unattended luggage, fictitious Sports Profiles, and Wide of the Eye are out now. There's a three CD box set, and there's also a three LP box set available. And, of course, you can check it out on any of your favorite streaming platforms. And last but certainly not least, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next RhinoCast. Executive producers for Rhino, John Hughes and Lauren Goldberg. Produced for Rhino by Pop Colt and Rich Mahan Promotions. All rights reserved.